Hey, welcome to the Chess Experience. On this show, it's all about helping adult improvers. I want to make learning chess easier for you to navigate, and I also want you to have a more fun experience along the way. I'm your host, Daniel Lona, a fellow chess amateur. Let's get to it. This show is sponsored by Chess.com, the world's largest chess community. Chess.com recently launched a new way to learn from your games with a feature called Insights. If you visit chess.com slash insights, you can get detailed stats and analysis in any of the time controls you've played and across any time period. What kind of things can you learn? Well, you can learn what time of day do you play your best, morning, afternoon, or night? What part of the game are you strongest or weakest, opening, middle game, or end game? Are you making more or less mistakes than opponents at your level? You can find out all this great info and much more at chess.com slash insights. Hey, welcome to this week's episode. Today, I'm doing an episode that's basically a sequel to one I did last February when I first launched the show, and that one was titled Top 7 Lessons Learned After My One-Year Return to Chess. That show covered the top lessons I learned in 2021, and now I'm going to cover my top lessons learned from 2022. But first, let me just put this a little bit in context, especially if you're not familiar with my own chess journey uh, that I've talked about through my other solo episodes on this show. My rating at the beginning of 2022 was about 1,500 on chess.com rapid. By the end of 2022, my rating was about 1,615, so a little over 100 points improvement. Very hard-earned improvement. I spent approximately 15 to 20 hours per week playing and studying chess. I did mostly classical games and a little bit of blitz. I went to six OTB classical tournaments that year, and I worked with two coaches, National Master Dan Heisman and International Master Andres Toth. 2022 was my second full year back in chess since I played many years prior uh, when I was an adolescent in middle school. And just to give a very quick breakdown of the top five lessons that I'm going to share with you, the first three lessons are more lessons that I learned within the game itself, uh, at the board, so to speak, and almost entirely from my lessons with Coach Andres. The last two lessons are more about just the journey itself and some insights I had about that. And overall, I just hope this entertains you and you get a couple of valuable lessons out of it that you can use for yourself. All right, let's get started. Lesson number one, play more aggressively. I don't know what your style of chess is, but I've had a very limiting habit in my chess, which is that I've played too defensively. What does that mean? Well, I liked creating a solid setup in the opening, developing all my pieces first. Uh, I wanted to make sure everything was in place before I went on an attack. And sometimes I would just make moves in the opening or early middle game that weren't really necessary, but they were done to prevent or preempt attacks before launching one of my own. Unfortunately, this pattern didn't really allow me to punish mistakes or weak play by my opponent if it happened before I was ready to attack. And when I started my coaching with Andres Toth this year, he instantly spotted this weakness in my game. We've worked pretty hard to address that. Still a work in progress, um, but I have improved a lot now on that front. 
So I guess the question I have for you is, have you had any issues with playing more aggressively? It's something that's hard to spot, I think, if you don't have a coach or at least a higher rated player looking over your games. I never thought that it was something I was doing wrong or, you know, as sort of a missed opportunity in my game, which I guess is just a testament to having another pair of eyes look at your games, you know, a pair of eyes that's more skilled than yours uh, to review what you're doing in your games. And hey, if you have any doubts whether you're playing aggressively enough, ask Andres, he will tell you. <laughs> But anyway, thankfully with his help, you know, if an opponent fails to develop quickly enough now or they move the same piece twice in the opening, same kind of thing, I guess, or they fail to seize the center or anything like that, I'm much more alert to those issues and I force myself to look for moves and lines that could exploit those weaknesses, which is something I rarely did before. And there's another insight uh, very much related to the point that I've been making already that Andres helped me realize, which is that Chess is really about finding the most effective way to destroy your opponent. <laughs> I know that sounds kind of dramatic, but when I think of the game that way, which doesn't always mean instantly going for the kill, but at least always looking for ways to defeat them, sometimes slowly and gradually, other times quickly, but always having that mindset, that change in how I viewed the game was really, really effective for me and really helpful and something I never would have come up with. In fact, it's that mindset shift that I believe allowed me to finally get over um, about a six-month plateau that I had this year and start making more progress. One last point I want to make about this lesson of playing more aggressively uh, is that it's not really something you see very often that's taught, at least not explicitly. Uh, you know, there's a lot of opening courses, there's tactics books and end game books and things like that. And, you know, we need all of those too, of course, but I just feel like this subject isn't really too often discussed. It's, it seems to be um, lost in the mix, so to speak. And so I think this is something that's probably very important for club players to be aware of. Uh, especially if you had a uh, playing style that's like mine. Maybe you're the opposite. Maybe you're the opposite of me and you need to be a little more careful in how you play uh, and more watchful of what your opponents are doing. That's definitely possible. We know there's all kinds of styles and chess and mentalities. So um, this isn't to say that this is a, a universal lesson that everybody needs to adopt, but I suspect there's a, a very high percentage of club players that would benefit from this. And like I said, it, you know, there's not like dozens of books on it that are always promoted out there. So uh, I think it's just something that's definitely worth thinking about in your own game. And hopefully that helps you. Okay, moving on to lesson number two, which is don't play with fear. Now, this is obviously very much related to the first lesson to play more aggressively, but it's a bit different, I think. So how did this look in my own chess? What was the problem? Well, too often, I wouldn't look for my own opportunities in a game because I was overly concerned with what my opponent could do, even if they didn't have any real attacking chances or great ways to improve their position that would cause me trouble. I'd still be very concerned about what they could do and often fearful as um, was part of the, the words and language that I would use in describing my thinking when I when I talk about it with uh, my coach Dan Heisman or Andres Toth. 
In fact, sometimes, and I guess this still occasionally happens, but it happened more often before I was aware of this problem, I would be in the middle of my own attack against my my opponent and it was going really well, but I I got lost in that fear mindset for a moment and I looked over to the other side of the board and I would think, oh man, what, well, they could start an attack on the queen side um, and you know, what am I going to do about that? And that looks a little scary and of course... Andres would later call me out for not not calculating specific lines, but rather just seeing something and being afraid of it, even if uh, I couldn't actually map out how it would hurt me. And so instead of continuing with my own attack, I would pause it for a move or two and, you know, play prophylactically and try to prevent something they might do even and more often than not it was the case that they didn't have anything effective against me anyhow <laughs> but there i was making pre, uh, preventative moves to, to stop it you know chasing ghosts as they say uh there was a great example of this when i was getting a lesson with andres we were going over one of my online classical games i had an excellent attacking position against my opponent and i didn't immediately exploit it and uh, you know i just played another preventative move you know, just to be safe. <laughs> Andres asked me why I did that. And I said, well, I was worried he might start an attack. And he said, you're worried right now? You should be excited about being able to punch this guy in the nose. Those kind of expressions he would use. And you should be giddy about all the different ways you can destroy him. That was basically what he said to me. And that was a real eye-opener for me because I realized in that moment I was playing fearfully instead of excitedly. And I wasn't, even when I had a great position right in front of me, for whatever reason, I would still just play out of fear or concern or worry. And yeah, I mean, it's sort of like an emotional insight to your own uh, psychology as well when that happens. But I'll stay away from that subject for now and focus on the chess. But yeah, it was a real eye-opening moment for me to, to know that I should more often than not have the mentality of... Uh, being enthusiastic about what I could do with my own position and not put so much emphasis on worry and fear about what my opponent can do, especially when I had the better position. So did I fix all of those problems? No, I still make that mistake sometimes, uh, but I'm at least aware of it now and I'm doing it less, right? And and that's all we can do is make step-by-step gradual improvement. And I would say if you're at about my rating or lower, it may be worth looking into where you play with too much fear if that happens, uh, or just at least you know try to take note if you're doing that. I think one of the best ways to do that is when you do game review and you write down what you were thinking at specific moves or critical positions. You know, do you find yourself saying, I was worried about, I was concerned about, I was afraid of? Because uh, I noticed that that was the kind of language that... Um, Andres picked up on when I was talking about my positions and he would call me out on it every time and still does. And that was really effective. So I think one way to, you know, uh, get that same kind of help is to just write it out yourself and, and look for that kind of, you know, fear or worry based language and how you're thinking about um, important moments in the game. And if they creep up too often, you know, especially like when you have especially when you have that winning position or at least a better position, it really probably shouldn't be uh, dominating your thought process at that point. Moving on to lesson number three, stop caring so much 
about losing material, especially pawns. <laughs> and I'm not saying this as a statement to you, uh, unless it is an issue for you, I guess, then yes, then learn that lesson. But I, this was like what I needed to tell myself. I needed to tell myself to stop caring so much about losing material. And uh, yeah, you could argue this is also related to my two previous points. <laughs> I am trying to make these points different as much as they may be related. Um, but I think here, even if it's related, it is uh, a more specific example of how perhaps not playing aggressively or playing with fear can uh, manifest itself in a game. And like I said at the beginning of this episode, you're going to see a pattern where all three, all the three first lessons that I talk about were insights that I got from coaching with, uh, mostly with Andres. Um, but hey, you know, I'd be cutting in half at least the number of valuable lessons that I learned this year if I didn't share with you some of the biggest ones that I got from my coaching. So the scene, again, a lesson with Andres evaluating one of my classical games. Andres asked me why I didn't pursue a certain line in the game. And I walked him through the three moves ahead that I saw. And I said, well, after this series of trades, I'd be down a pawn. And he said, no, 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 no. After that series of trades, you're down a pawn? And I said, yeah. And he said, that's where your calculation begins. Boom. My mind was blown. I was like, wait, I start my serious calculation once the pawn is lost? Okay, interesting. But what he observed was that at that moment when I'm quote unquote down a pawn, I have for that an advantage and peace activity and a very good attack. And of course, here I am dismissing you know, this line after three moves because, hey, I'm down a pawn, so I completely end the analysis. My 1500 level chest brain caused me to stop looking any further, if you will. <laughs> and Andres, showing why he's such a great coach and an IM, saw that position and got excited about its possibilities as a point of contrast. My coach, Dan Heisman, has told me this too. In fact, I think they've almost said the exact same sentence to me, which goes something like this, uh, being said to me, you're looking at the material balance and I'm looking at the dynamic possibilities of the position. I don't think I can remind myself of that point too often, probably for at least the next few hundred points of rating growth in my chess journey. And I hope it's helpful for you to hear too. Maybe you're well past that. I hope you are. I hope actually there's a certain part of me that hopes that all these lessons are like old hat for you and you already got them down because I don't want you to suffer through what I'm suffering through. But on the other hand, if you are having some of these same issues, I, I hope these lessons and insights can help you. So basically, from this point and from these lessons that I've had with my coaches, I've learned to not instantly reject candidate moves or lines just because they lose material. I'm learning to evaluate them more deeply, look for the dynamics of the position, and you know, hopefully that can help you too. All right, lesson number four. Balance your journey for fun and improvement. This lesson, it feels like it's taken me almost two years to fully be aware of, and I'm still fine-tuning it. But now let me get into what I mean by balancing your journey for fun and improvement. So no doubt you're aware there are activities we need to do that are necessary to improve, like reviewing and analyzing our games after we play them and drilling tactics. And there's these other activities that we just want to do in chess, regardless of whether they optimize our improvement at all. These are the things that maybe just have a little bit of impact on our improvement, uh, but they're not like the most 
biggest bang for our buck activities. Maybe like just playing a bunch of blitz. There can be some some things that we get out of that, but maybe you know after a certain point, <laughs> it's it's not the next thing we should be doing to improve. Um, but we want to do it regardless, right? Or maybe it's like watching a YouTube video passively, so to speak, uh, on chess, and uh, maybe we get an insight or two <laughs> out of forty five minutes of watching. But you know, we could have gotten more out of that time doing something else. Um, so, but we wanted to do it, you know, that was just like the fun way for us to do chess at that time. So I think broadly speaking, there's these two types of categories, the stuff that like is definitely going to move the needle for us in our chess and the best thing we could be doing right now to improve. And then there's the other stuff that, um, is more just for fun for us. And maybe it has a little bit of impact on our improvement, but not much. And I've reflected a lot on this. I think I think it's fair to call it a bit of a tug of war because we, we want to do both. You know, we want to improve, but then we also kind of want to do the fun activity. Um, and I've come to the conclusion that when you want to improve at chess, you just have to figure out how you want to balance the two. So the question is, how do you divide your time between these two categories? My thinking at the moment is one, there's no right answer to that question. And two, very similarly, you just got to do what works for you. There's always a trade-off in either direction, right? If you're 100% in on optimal improvement activities, it can feel like a chore or a job. But if you just indulge in blitz or only work on openings, you may stunt your progress. And that's no fun either, right? It's not fun to not see improvement after all this time in chess. It's not fun to keep losing uh, in the same ways or, or at, to stay at the same rating forever and ever. In the earlier part of my journey, uh, I used to be more gung-ho about doing everything possible to improve. It's just kind of my personality. Like for me, the quote-unquote most exciting thing is to to see improvement and to win games. Uh, and that's still true, but I've learned how to balance that. More on that in a moment. Uh, but ultimately, the, the 100% or nearly 100% approach to just doing optimal improvement activities became too burdensome for me. It did start to feel job-like and that that did hamper my enjoyment of the journey itself a bit. So now I let myself do more of what you could, I guess you could call secondary improvement activities. For example, let's say I've only done an hour or two of tactics this week and I need to do more, but I'm just not up for it. I, I know it's the best thing for me, but I don't care. <laughs> so I'll just let myself do an annotated game book on my nice wooden set, or maybe I'll just work on openings because I just, <laughs> I, I'm sorry, I love openings and I, I, I enjoy working on them. Even though sometimes I know it's not the best thing for me, I don't care. And, you know, I think you have to figure out what that is for yourself. That's my best advice. Anyhow, after a couple of years now of doing this seriously, uh, if you're a club player like me, is to at least just be aware of which chess activities you enjoy the most, whether that's watching videos, openings, I don't know. Maybe you're even a little strange and Endgames is your favorite thing. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> that's great if it is. I, I wish Endgames were my favorite. But the point is, uh, these sort of secondary chess activities, meaning secondary from an improvement standpoint, um, but maybe primary for fun, I accept that this means I'm not optimizing my improvement 100% of the time. But I am still doing something that can help me improve. And I think just doing chess regularly also has value in of itself because consistency can be a challenge as well. So, you know, I think those days that are really tough on you, um, you know, and then come evening, you just don't know if you're up for chess. I think I think that's one of the best times to just pick one of those 
activities that you know you enjoy most and say F it to, you know, optimizing improvement that night because, um, one, you're just not up for it. And two, um, doing the, the things that you enjoy most, at least just kind of, and I don't mean this as a pun, but keeps you in the game. It keeps you active within chess. And I think that's a critical part to improvement as well is just doing it regularly, even if it's not always optimal. And so I have an approximate percentage breakdown for myself. I don't necessarily am saying that you should do that too, but I think it's one way to look at it. And I'm not really particular about calculating these percentages. It's just an approximation. But I think right now for me and my personality and what I want to achieve, what works best is to spend about 75%, maybe 80% of my chest time doing the stuff that will you know, maximize my improvement because I absolutely do love seeing that improvement and I love winning games. Uh, but I'm human. I have other things on my plate. And, you know, if 25, 30% of my chest time it isn't, you know, you could look at that and say, that's not the thing you need to work on right now, Dan. I, I'm saying I'm okay with that. I'm okay with 30% of my time being in that category because um, I need to keep this sustainable and I need to keep it enjoyable. And I still think there's that, like I said, there's that value in it. It's just keeping me doing chess on a regular basis and not having these fits and starts with my journey, which I think can be counterproductive in the long run. And kind of closing this fourth lesson out, I think the last thing I want to mention to you, um, if I were to give any advice on this subject, if you or someone else asked me, I think the first part is just knowing which of those chess activities are, are the ones that you're just always most willing to do, even like say on a tough day, the ones that are just the most fun for you that might still impact your improvement a little bit, but you know, aren't the next thing for you necessarily. Uh, so I think that's one is knowing what those are. And then second, just kind of maybe playing around with a ratio that tends to work best for yourself. Maybe you're a 50, 50 person, maybe, I don't know, maybe you only want to optimize your improvement a third of the time and the other two thirds or so you're just like, I'm just going to do fun chess, <laughs> whatever that is for you. And, you know, like I said, there's no right or wrong. I think it is worth always noting though, what the trade-offs are, right? Like when you shift more towards my end of it, what I'm doing, where more of it is on optimizing improvement, then, you know, it is harder sometimes. It is a bit more of a work feel, but I'm willing to make that trade-off. And of course, when you do more of the fun side of it, you know, you you take a hit on how quickly you improve, but at the end of the day, maybe that's not super important for you. So, you know, I think it just comes down to knowing yourself and what works best for you and maybe even just playing around with ratios a bit. And again, not mathematically like super precise, but just roughly, that's how I do it. That would be my advice. That was a big lesson I learned for myself this year, and I'm still kind of managing it a bit, but uh, I hope that insight helps you a little bit. The final and fifth lesson is that improvement happens even when your rating doesn't show it. Have you been in a spot where you feel like little to nothing you're doing has helped you improve? <laughs> That was a feeling I felt far too often this past year. Uh, so in 2021, I was spoiled by massive rating gains. On Chess.com Rapid, I went that year from about 1,000 to 1,500. And I knew that I wouldn't repeat another 500 points of improvement the following year in 22. But I still hope for maybe two to 300 points in rating gains. Instead, it was about 100 points. 
Now understand, I put in two to three hours of study and play seven days a week this past year. So it was very frustrating to see so little progress. And I had about a four to six month stretch there where I had no rating progress at all. It hurts. At times, I was discouraged. I got down on myself as a chess player. But I never stopped doing the work. I kept doing what my coaches told me to do. I kept striving. And eventually, towards the end of this past year, I had a breakthrough and quickly went from about 1530 to 1600. Why did it happen that way? Like all of a sudden towards the end of the year, I I hit a big gain of progress. I don't fully understand. (laughs) But my theory is that there are so many areas of the game that you might improve in one of them, like over the course of a month or two. But maybe that particular area doesn't show up in your next handful of classical games. You know, you improve an opening and then you improve your end game skills. But what if the next 10 classical games you play don't hinge on end games or openings? Well, then that improvement doesn't really come into play, even though you did get better. So my non-scientific theory is that you may have to elevate several different parts of your game for a while before those results consistently show up and boost your rating. That's my thinking. But at the end of the day, my opinion is that there's only three things you can do to ensure improvement. One is to evaluate your study practices and see if you need to tweak what you're working on, perhaps. That's one thing. The second is to get a coach and follow their advice. And that can very much be related to the first point, which is to evaluate how you're studying. They may help you with that. And then third and finally, after you do those two things, is to consistently do the work that you decide you need to do to improve. You know, whatever whatever it is that you determined is important based on how you, when you looked at your own study plan and how you're approaching the game, and maybe if you have a coach as well, incorporating their feedback, and then just doing the work of whatever comes out of those insights and decisions and consistently applying them. I mean, what else can you do but those three things, right? Um, Eventually, progress should show up. Unfortunately, you might have to be more patient than you want to be. And that's what happened to me. Man, did I have to suffer through some patience this year. Um, But that that was the key lesson that I learned. But I think it'll serve me in the future to remember if I go through, you know, multi month periods of not seeing any improvement, that to just have faith that if I'm doing those three things, evaluating the process, working with my coach and being consistent in my work, that it will eventually come. It, it just sucks that sometimes it takes so much longer than we want. I also realized it did me no good to beat myself up for it, which is a mistake that I made. I would, I would get down to my abilities as a chess player, my potential as a chess player during that period uh, sometimes. And that didn't serve me at all. It just made it just made the experience worse, and it wasn't true. Uh, you know, my lack of improvement, uh, so to speak, in terms of rating for those five or six months, it didn't reflect on me as a chess player at all. Not at all. In fact, if anything, it showed my persistence that I was still willing to push on in spite of that struggle. And I think that's a that's a positive that I learned. So, yeah, if you ever are in that same boat, I can only encourage you to not get too down on yourself. I know that's the quick uh, and tempting belief to have about the situation, but it really doesn't, it doesn't serve anything. And it's almost certainly not true anyhow. So 
just hang in there if you're if you've been in that situation too. I'm sure I'm sure it'll eventually get better if you just stay with it like it did for me. Okay, so those are my top five lessons learned in 2022 from my chess journey. To very quickly recap them: one, play more aggressively; two, don't play with fear; three, don't be afraid to lose material especially pawns. <laughs> Four, balance your journey for fun and improvement. Five, improvement happens even when your rating doesn't show it. I hope you found that helpful or at least entertaining, hopefully both. If you did and you want to share a comment about it with me, feel free to tag me in a Twitter post or send me an email. Links to both will be in the show notes. I hope you have an awesome year of chess in 2023. See you next week. Thanks for listening. This has been a production of my business, Adult Chess Academy. And that has a website with the same name if you want to look for it. You can also find me being way too active on Twitter by searching my username, Lona underscore chess. See you next week.